Thank you, Coffee, and thank you, everyone. Um, good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, I'm excited about this, this extreme love that um, Philippa was talking to us about. I can't believe, I've, I've, not been, I've not had anything to do with the organization of this. I can't believe it's only five pounds, and you get two meals included in that price. That is like a bargain, isn't it? I mean, even if you don't really want to learn anything, come on the weekend, because it's cheaper than eating at home. So book in, um, book in for this. Um, if, on your weekly, there's more information about what is going on on each day as well. So um, I think that's going to be a fantastic event. So we've been going through the Bible, um, book by book, and we arrive today, I have the privilege of looking at Lamentations wow. with you. Now, as the name suggests, this is not the cheeriest of books um, in the Bible. Lamentations coming from lamenting, um, pouring out your heart in grief and sorrow. Um, so although we've moved recently into the prophetic books of the Bible, this is really a little bit of a kind of step back again into some of that more experiential kind of writing that we found in books like Job and Psalms and Ecclesiastes. Lamentations consists of five anonymous um, poems, uh, and like the, the name suggests, they are poems of lament. They are poems of sorrow and regret. They are all about the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. If you remember um, the church history that we've been learning as we went through the books, this big kind of climatic event in Old Testament history when God's people were warned and warned and warned that if they would not repent of their sin and their unfaithfulness, that it would result in them ending up in captivity and exile. And this is exactly what happened. Jerusalem was put under siege and eventually fell and God's people went into captivity. And Lamentations is lamenting the state of Jerusalem and Judah and Israel as a consequence of what has happened. God's people have brought God's righteous anger upon themselves by refusing to live faithfully in covenant with him. Now we have to remember the context. Remember, God has pleaded and pleaded with his people. He's come to his people again and again and again. And he's poured out his heart in love towards his people saying, please, you need to understand that the way to live a good and full and prosperous life is to live faithfully in covenant, in relationship with me. Please, I know what's best for you. Just like in the very beginning when God said, this is the way you should live. This is the way you should live because if you live your own way, then you'll end up dying. But right from the very beginning, we've gone our own way. Now here are God's people suffering the terrible consequences of their own rejection of him. And Lamentations is very raw. The poet leaves us under no illusion as to just how bad things have become. And as well as helping us once more to see that God does encourage us to be real about how we're feeling, because Lamentations is full of that, of the poet pouring out his heart to God, saying, how can this be? I'm in such a state, I feel so, I feel so low, I feel so um, 
depressed. I feel, I feel distraught because I look around me at what is supposed to be God's glorious, wonderful people. And I see a nation in ruin. I see a, a nation that is a mess. And so it's full of that reality of pouring out his heart and even struggling and wondering, and where are you in all of this, God? But as well as that, Lamentations paints this vivid picture of the consequence, the terrible consequences of sin and disobedience. Let's turn to Lamentations chapter 2. Now, if you've been following us, you'll know where Lamentations is, because last time we were in Jeremiah, or I think we had a free week, didn't we, last week, where we looked at something different, but then um, Jeremiah, and then after that comes Lamentations. So Lamentations chapter 2, we'll read a couple of passages from the book to get a flavor um, of what's happening here. So Lamentations chapter 2 First of all, how the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He's hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He's not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He's brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He's withdrawn his right hand. At the approach of the enemy, he is burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. And like an enemy, he has strung his bow. His right hand is ready like a foe. He has slain all who are pleasing to the eye. He has poured out his wrath like fire on the tent of daughter Zion. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces and destroyed all her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation for daughter Judah. He has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. He's destroyed his um, place of meeting. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed festivals and her Sabbaths. And in his fierce anger, he has spurned both king and priest. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. He's given the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy. They have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of an appointed festival. And so he goes on. So this isn't the the, the carefully thought out theological reflections. This is the raw emotion in the midst of the moment. Look at what is going on around us. It's like God has abandoned us as we suffer the consequences of our sin. Lamentations chapter 5. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless, our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. And those who pursue us are at our heels, and we are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven from feverish from hunger. And women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the town of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands and elders have shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. And because of this, 
Our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it, you, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old, unless you've utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. It's quite a moment, isn't it? Quite a moment in Scripture, just this outpouring of anguish and grief. But such are the consequences of sin. Such is the effect upon our world and upon our mission and our destiny when we refuse to live faithfully in covenant with God. And so the writer of these poems looks around him and says, what a mess, what utter devastation. We were supposed to be this glorious people. We were supposed to be this wonderful people that everyone could look at us and and see this is what it looks like when a people live faithfully with God. This is what it looks like to be God's own treasured possession. Remember the promise of God that we've been learning all around, uh, all about would be, was that his people would be his treasured possession and that people would be able to look at them and see a relationship between God and his people and that actually through them, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So these are supposed to be a glorious people and now they're in ruin. But actually, we look around our world today, don't we? And we see terrible things going on. We see the consequences of sin in our world. We see our world in a mess. We see people pursuing their own gain. We see people um, you know, pursuing their own, their own benefit, their own advance at, at the cost of others. We see people willing to trample others down. We see greed. We see violence. We see people trying to get mastery one over the other. We see a world, even in, the, even in its nature, even in the natural world, things are corrupt and broken because of our sin. And if we're really honest, sometimes when we look around us in the church, we also see things not as they should be. And sometimes we see that we aren't the glorious, holy, righteous, wonderful, loving, selfless people that God has called us to be. That we don't always shine with the brilliance that God has said that we should shine with in our world, to be a light in our world, to show people what it looks like to live faithfully in covenant with God. Sometimes when we look around us, even in the church, we see dishonesty or we see being willing to put my own needs, my own career, my own advancement first over everybody else. Or we see being willing to enter into sexual promiscuity to satisfy my own needs or to live a life of drunkenness or, or whatever it is. We see it going on in the church sometimes. And we look around and we need a lamentations moment where we say this is not as it should be. How could we end up in this place. Now let's think about this for a moment because we've got this whole lot of suffering going on here and and according to the poet, it seems that God is responsible for it. And that makes us feel 
uncomfortable because we do not like, particularly in our 21st century British society, the idea of judgment and punishment. And yet, we celebrate that our God is a God of justice. And so we've got a little bit of a problem here, haven't we? Because everybody loves justice until they're on the receiving end of it. Everybody loves, yes, we should see the right thing done, until suddenly we realize that we're the ones in the wrong. You see, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. So we talk about longing for God's kingdom to fill the earth. That means we are longing more than anything else for God's righteousness and God's justice to completely cover the earth. And as we've already discovered, God consistently warned his people. If we're going to live in covenant together, if we're going to live in this love relationship together, if we're going to be an intimate God and his people, God and his sons and daughters, putting all that is good and amazing and wonderful and fantastic and loving about God on display in our world, then you have to live faithfully. You have to live faithfully in relationship with me. So let's imagine for a moment that God did not punish sin. You see, your sin and my sin was the very thing that kept us apart from God. From the beginning, mankind, humanity's sin was the very thing that kept humanity distant and separated from God. So if God did not bring judgment on sin, then he would be saying, I am prepared to allow that which keeps you separate from me to go unchecked. Can you see that it is actually an act of love on God's part that he brings judgment against the sin that keeps the most treasured aspect of his creation, you and me, from himself? That it's actually an outpouring of God's love when he brings judgment against sin. And that's why it says to us that God's love for us, God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died to take the judgment the righteous judgment against our sin because our sin, your sin, kept you from the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Your sin kept you separate. Your sin prevented you from fulfilling the call, the plan, the purpose, the destiny, the relationship that God had always intended for you. And so God brought judgment against that sin. Now, what we're seeing here in the Old Testament is we're seeing before Jesus. We're seeing the shadows. We're seeing the the prefiguring, if you like, of what was to come in Jesus. Now, Jesus has brought us into a new and better covenant. And in this covenant that Jesus has brought us into, the judgment and the punishment of our sin is taken upon Jesus himself as he sheds his blood for us on a cross. And he lays willingly down his life for us. 
and he takes the punishment that we deserved. You see, God does not want to bring suffering on anyone. And so in the middle of Lamentations, in Lamentations 3 and verse 19, it says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. So God is a God of justice. And because he loves us so much, he is not prepared to allow the sin, the rebellion, the turning away from him that separates us from him to go unchecked. He commits himself, I will deal. I am the God of justice. I am the God of love. I will deal with this sin that keeps you separate and apart from me. And so there has to be a judgment of sin. But God's desire is not that we would suffer, is not that we would perish. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He does not want anyone to perish but instead he wants us to repent. He wants you, he wants me to change the way we think. Repentance, it means to turn your life around and to think differently. To think differently about everything. To change your whole way of living. He wants you to reorient, to change the direction of your life. He wants you to live differently to how you did before. You see, the transformation of our world, the coming of the kingdom that we talk about so often, begins with the transformation of your life and mine. Jesus said that you cannot enter the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of God. You cannot enter into that and live in that as you are destined to do unless you will first be born again. Unless you will start a new life. This is radical transformation that we're talking about. It's not make a few modifications to your existing life. It's die to your old life and begin an entirely brand new kind of life. Of life. This is the message, this is the good news that both John the Baptist and Jesus proclaimed as they arrived announcing what was about to happen. They said, Repent, 
Change the way you think. Change the direction of your life. Stop doing what you were doing. Stop living how you were living. And turn around and go in a new direction and live differently. Why? Because God's rule has come close to you. Because God's kingdom is now available. This is our moment. This is our time. And we can make a difference. But we cannot be just like the world around us. We have to live faithfully in covenant with our God. And if Lamentations teaches us anything, it's oh how terrible the consequences when God's people refuse to live faithfully in covenant with him. How ugly, how utterly depressing, how sorrowful when the church is not the glorious, beautiful bride that she is supposed to be but is full of just as much discord, just as much gossip, just as much sin, just as much selfishness, just as much oppression, just as much lying or cheating, just as much sexual immorality as the world into which she is sent. That has to grieve our hearts, my brothers and sisters. We cannot carry on any longer believing it's okay to behave like the world behaves. But we are called to live differently. We are called to live righteously. Change the way you think. Turn your life around. If you are going to play your part in God's totally different kingdom that is the opposite of everything in this world, that instead of trying to assert itself over others, humbles itself and serves, that instead of taking this city, talks about serving this city, that instead of you know, overcoming everyone else in the world around us, actually talks about loving them and laying our lives down for them. If you're going to play your part in this totally different kingdom, you've got to stop trying to use this kingdom to get what you want and start laying down your life and seeking first this kingdom. It's no surprise that Peter contrasted repentance with perishing because it's something that Jesus himself said too. Jesus said this in Luke 13, 1-5. Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Because living outside of a relationship with God, refusing to live faithfully in obedience to him will ultimately result in our ruin. Now, as I say, what's changed so radically since the time of Lamentations is that Jesus has laid down his life so that we don't have to be trapped in this Lamentations moment, so that we don't have to be stuck there 
And even the, even the poet himself, he had that, that glimmer of hope, didn't he? He said, he, he said if we just hold on to God and, and, and there is hope, we know that hope. We know that hope. His name is Jesus. And he's already laid down his life to set us free from the kind of sin and rebellion that we're talking about here. And we can be the glorious bride of Christ. We can be the pure, spotless, radiant bride. We can shine with the glory of God. It's possible because of what Jesus has done for us. So let's not fritter that away. But let's live in the light of and in the good of what Jesus has done for us. And so God gives us this amazing, beautiful gift of repentance. That repentance is not some awful kind of dowdy, dreary thing that God has inflicted upon his church. But repentance is actually a beautiful opportunity to turn away from what we were like and turn towards what God is calling us to be. And because of what Jesus has done, this repentance is so powerful that actually we can, by putting our faith in him, die to that old way of life and live a new life. In him. In Acts 5, 29 to 31, it says this Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And some of the older translations put it like this. They say that he might give repentance to Israel or that he might grant repentance to Israel. You see, repentance is God's gift to you. Repentance is God's gift to you because he loves you so much. He wants you to be the son, the daughter that he's called you to be. In Acts 11:18 it says when they heard this they had no further objections and they praised God saying so then even to gentiles God has granted repentance that leads to life. God doesn't want anyone to suffer the consequences of sin. He holds out his arms in love and he says come to me. Repent, turn away from the way you've been living and live your life wholeheartedly in devotion to me. Repentance is an incredible gift from God that enables us to live faithfully in covenant with him. Whether that's first time repentance, when we first make that decision, and maybe you're here this morning and you need to make that decision for that first time to say, I will no longer live my life for myself. I will turn my life around and I will live my life for God. I will place my life in God's hands. We would love to help you with that decision this morning. And if that's you, come and talk to one of us afterwards. But even right now, in this moment, you can pray that prayer. You can ask God to forgive you for living life your own way. And you can make a decision to live your life for God. But you know what? What the rest of us have discovered, in line with Jesus' teaching, is that actually, having done that kind of once for all time, we actually then have to do that on a daily basis that we have to keep reorienting our life, that we have to keep coming. Jesus put it like this. He said, take up your cross daily. Actually, you have to die daily. Again and again and again, you come back to that place where you say, God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, Jesus, that you gave your life, that I can be forgiven for the times when I've got it wrong, when I've been less than I'm called to be, and I want to give my life again to living for you. 
I want to live my life for your glory, for your kingdom. I want to live faithfully in covenant with you. And it doesn't matter how badly you've messed up. It doesn't matter what kind of mess you've made thus far. God always is faithful to forgive. See, this is not a message to condemn you. This is not a message to to, to tell you off. This is a message to say, come on, people of God. Come on, let's come back to him again. We sang, and I, I heard even as we sang this morning, there was, a, there, was a sense, there was a cry of our hearts that said, yes, God, I'm desperate for you. Yes, God, I'm longing for more of you. Well, I believe God would challenge us this morning, and for some of us, the challenge is this. Well, if you're desperate for me, then stop living how you've been living. If that's a real, genuine cry, and I believe it is, A genuine cry that is stirring in our hearts. God says, if you want that, I want that for you too. So turn away from the thoughts you've been thinking. Or from the things you've been saying. Or from the the things you've been doing. And live for me. Live faithfully in covenant with me. Pursue me. Understand what what my will and purpose is for your life. And live faithfully in covenant with me. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about a godly sorrow that produces an eagerness, an earnestness, a passion and a desire that doesn't just wink at sin, but turns and runs from sin and runs towards God. A passion and a zeal that doesn't claim to be perfect, does not claim to not have made mistakes. We have all made mistakes. We have all got things wrong. I have got things wrong in my life, but I do not want to be someone who says, well, it's just okay. I want to be someone who, when the Holy Spirit shows me that I've been less than God has called me to be, that I turn with a passion and a zeal towards God. Say, God, grant me the gift of genuine, true repentance that I might live my life for you. Jesus told the story, didn't he, of a, of a lost son who went off and made an utter mess of his life. And he thought it was too late and he just made a mess of everything and his life was in ruins. And then it says this, it says he came to his senses. I believe in that moment he had a lamentations moment. He realized this life, the state of this life is so much less than what God has intended for me. And part of our repentance, and hopefully it doesn't go on for all the years of the siege and the the exile in Jerusalem. Hopefully for us, we will be so much quicker to respond. But there's a lamentations moment when we realize, in this area of my life, this does not look like the beauty and the glory that God has intended for me. In this area of my commitment, in this area of how I am in my workplace, in this area of You know, whatever it is, however the Holy Spirit speaks to you, that there's a lamentations moment when we are moved in our hearts, where there is a godly sorrow that produces in us a desire to turn again towards him. And because of the covenant in which we now live, there is always grace for you. There is always grace for you. There is always forgiveness for you. There is always God's loving arms open to you saying, come on, come on, just turn towards me and I will run to you. I will run to you and I will throw my arms around you and I will restore you. And we can live faithfully together in covenant as God's people. I'd like us to respond just by singing again that song that we sang earlier. This is the air that I breathe. And we sang that refrain as well that 
You're all that I need. You're my everything. I'd love us just to use this, and I invite you to make your own response in your own heart. Just to say, God, grant me the gift of repentance that I might follow you with my whole heart and that that might affect the way that I live, that that might affect the things that I do and the things that I say. I'm going to refuse to live the way the world around me lives anymore, but I'm going to live faithfully in covenant obedience to you. Amen?